You know that a man dies if he loses five pints of blood. The time is now. The place is the space between your ears. The people are lizards, dissecting the finest in science fictional and fantastical literature for all your auditory pleasures. You are now listening to Lizard People, Dear Readers. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Lizard People, Dear Readers, the science fiction and fantasy podcast for reptilian humanoids by reptilian humanoids and other lizard-like peoples. I am here as always with Peter Paris. How's it going? And Nathan Edwards. How's it going? And of course, I'm George Chimples. How's it going, George? It's, you know, a little bit of that, a little bit of this, and that. Lies. True. Oh. True. All right. All right. Well, there you go. With that issue settled. George. You're going to, uh, hmm? yes. Yes. Sorry. George, uh, I believe you had something to say about uh, the book we discussed last time, The Bees by Lillian Paul. That is correct. I think that the listeners may find that occasionally we need to do a little bit of cleanup when we've discussed and discussed the book, but there's still yet more things to discuss. Some lingering thoughts. And that brings us to a little segment we call Frigerator Thoughts. There's no theme music for this at all. Disappointing. Disappointed. So my Frigerator thought was this. We talked about it when we introduced the book that um, on Amazon, it was presented as the publisher as The Handmaiden's Tale meets The Hunger Games, which is a very lazy construction that press people will use, reviewers will use because it's lazy, but it's very easy to understand. It's this meets that. It's blank on steroids. It's blank on crack, you know, that sort of thing. It exists. We're never going to get fully away from it because as someone who does reviews himself, sometimes it does help to paint the picture, at least to put in the view. But it can also be sometimes misleading or a little bit dubious. So I thought was interesting with this is The Handmaid's Tale meets Hunger Games. Obviously, you're picking two books that have, you know, female characters. You're picking a book that's probably one of the most critically acclaimed books in all of speculative fiction in The Handmaid's Tale with something that's very popular um, with teens and adults and moviegoers. And so you've got something very popular, very critically claimed. I would see why you would push those together. But I don't really see it as being Handmaid's Tale meets The Hunger Games. Do you guys? No. I mean, I, yeah, with the, with the caveat that I haven't actually read either of those books, it seems kind of hand-wavy and, you know. It's more like... Children like of Men meets Gattaca. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, and that's a good take. I um, hmm. Because that's the thing. is like Handmaid's Tale is about a repressive um, Christian theocracy, like in the far future dystopian, where women are basically fit to be bred and, and you know, other things like that. Which is interesting because in this one, it's not a male-dominated society, while the drones do have this kind of they're weighted on hand and feet. They're more like giant babies rather than people that wield any actual power. They're man babies. Um, yeah, they're giant man babies that they like to take care of because it amuses them, but they don't actually affect policy, please. No. They're so, gross. yeah, in Hunger Games, you've got another dystopia, but there's this competitive aspect to it. There's this class aspect, which this kind of feeds into, but it might be more akin to Divergent than Hunger Games. I mean, in the bees just in terms of like the rigid casts, because in Hunger Games, it's this geographic thing. And it's also a lot of people just, you know, deciding whether to order pizza while they play Twister. And I thought that was a strange way to take it. But I'm surprised um, that they made that into four movies. It seemed like an odd choice. Well, did you see the fourth one where they play Monopoly instead? No. It was a bold move. I heard that was the same strategy Peter Jackson was going to take with the uh, 
future Lord of the Ring movies. You're terrible. This is all terrible. Um, <laughs> no, no. Do you know what's terrible is that I've got customers who keep coming in and asking me for the first Hobbit book. And I have a very hard time explaining to them that there is only one Hobbit book. There are three Lord of the Rings books. Technically, and I don't know what they mean. Technically, it's all one book anyway. It's just three yeah, volumes. Yeah, they sell it as three, though. So. Yeah, I know. I, I, trust me, I can't explain this to people. Um, but then, then they'll see The Hobbit. And then they'll be like, oh, it's the first one when they see the one that's got like the paintings and pictures in it as opposed to just like some mass market trade paperback. But I'm like, it's the same text, guys, whatever. Tough. Anyways, that's a diatribe for another another time and place. I'm not going to lie, George. You're not a very convincing salesman. <laughs> oh, I, I am. When I'm in the store, oh, my goodness, I am. You, you, you got to see me work, actually. It's pretty great. I get in there, baby. I get in there. I sell them. I could sell... Uh, ice chips to someone who owns a freezer. I don't know. Don't worry about it. So getting back to the topic at hand, we've got, yeah, I see why they chose to call it that, but I don't agree. So Nathan, you said it was like rats of Nim meets Gattaca. Gattaca is a children of men. Children of men meets Gattaca. No, I mean, which I thought was an interesting one. It yeah. was sort of off the top of my head. It's, I mean, it's it's more well, of a... No one can have any kids. Yeah. Yeah. It's the one fertile female uh, combo with the regimented future dystopian society. I thought it was... It's not the worst uh, metaphor I've made. Not the worst simile. Here's um, mine. Watership Down meets The Godfather. The Godfather. Yeah, think about it. You're, she's in this society. She doesn't really want to be a part of it. There's a decrepit leader that she ends up becoming, in essence. She becomes the new queen mother and perpetuates this cycle. Because that's the thing that, that is interesting to me about the end of the book is that she, you know, the queen goes off and does this thing, but she's going to create the same society that, that was repressive in the first place. Uh, not necessarily. Um, the, the, the um, what do you call it? The stranglehold of the sage uh, cast on public policy has been broken, um, and they're no longer they're no longer making honey for the man. Man, they've seized the but means it, of production. Yeah, but, the, but aside from that, everything else will well, perpetuate itself because they'll continue presumably to have a they will still be that's how bees work. But now they're then now they're killer bees. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> now they're going to be exterminated <laughs> by a Texan. No. Uh, the Bees, by the way, has been shortlisted for the Bailey's Women Fiction Prize and longlisted for the Desmond Elliott Prize. Cool. Yeah. That's excellent. Yeah. It is. It is an excellent book. It's very deserving. Anyways, I like our taglines or our mash-em-ups a little bit better than the one that they chose. I think it's more apropos. It just seemed, yeah, that, that seems a little lazy. Hmm. Famous book with female protagonist. Yeah. Meets other to one. Me, well, I think you got to, the, the important themes are that it's an alien animalistic society and then you're in this institutionalized um locale whereas like hunger games is very much it's much more of a hero's journey sort of thing where she's going away from home and learning all these things and fomenting revolution and doing that whereas the bees it's a little bit of that in terms of the revolution but it's also she's in an institutionalized thing where she's kind of rising through the ranks and it's you know like one floor of the cuckoo's nest or something like that kind of thing I haven't read one flew over the cuckoo's nest in a while, but does he does he go from inmate to uh, nurse at any point? No, I'm not saying in the same kind of arc, but I'm saying the same kind of exploration of space. Sure, I mean it's 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 the same kind of buildings roman. Just just it's not they're not wandering. It's within like she does go on a even though it's still a beehive. She's going on a journey of discovery, a coming of age. She goes to a place and learns a thing and becomes part of the society, and then she goes somewhere else and learns something else. Like. Yeah, like Billy does in One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest. Possibly. Yeah, and see, this is the, also the reason why these break down, is you can always point out the specificities where they differ. You're like, well, it's not really like that. But you've got to get to the grosser kind of themes. I'd say ultimately it's like a bold and unique look at uh, life in a bee society. Yeah, a bold and unique look. I like that. That's original. That's unique. And bold. Do you have a comparison that you want to make, Peter? I have nothing to add to this bold and unique conversation. It is certainly a bold and unique conversation. I think we can all agree on that. Yeah. But take care, okay. but take care of your uh, your leftovers, George. 
Mostly. Are you stuffed full of day-old pizza? Yeah, do you know what I like to do when I'm eating day-old pizza? I do everything. I like to watch TV. Ah, hey. Hey. I would like to set up for one of you to talk about television All right. shows that we're going to discuss. I watched Daredevil, uh, the first episode of Daredevil, and I would like to point out for the record that if you're the one buff blind dude in Hell's Kitchen and you wear a mask to beat up people, put some eye holes in the mask to throw them off a little bit. Nonsense. They can't see it. It's dark. Sometimes it's not dark. I mean, it's it, granted it's dark in every time he's punching somebody in the first episode, which is all that I've seen. But What if there's a streetlight? There aren't any in Hell's Kitchen. It's very poor. That is also not the case. It seems a little strange in modern-day New York that it's still set in Hell's Kitchen. Which yeah, is... well, because Hell's Kitchen has been gentrified, but it's supposed to be the Hell's Kitchen from the... It's because you're dealing with Marvel New York, which is not our New York. I did find it interesting so... that they talked about the um, the incident from Avengers. Did they? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they they kind of obliquely referred to the the fact that heroes and capes exist in the world, and in some of the scenes you can see, like in the newspaper in Ben Yurick's office, there's um, newspaper headlines that show like the Hulk rampaging through downtown, and then show like the Chitauri invasion and stuff like that. So it's definitely of you know they do make reference to it. But what I like about it is it's very much well that stuff's happening out there, but life still goes on here. And the heroes haven't really boiled down to the street level yet. So Daredevil's kind of filling that niche, so to speak. The Batman niche of punching poor people. He, yeah, <laughs> you haven't watched enough of the show. No, I haven't. Um, I do need to watch more of the show. Um, it's true. So this is... Yeah, there's a lot of... Well, you'll like it because actually there's a whole gentrification storyline that takes over uh, the bulk of the mid part. That Daredevil is fighting against the gentrifiers because... Um, what they're doing is bad. So this I did, is on Netflix, right? It is. It's yeah, a Netflix it's, original. Okay. Netflix, I think it's 13 or 14 episodes. I'm two away from the end. You've got Vincent D'Onofrio as the kingpin, who is absolutely masterful. That very sounds creepy. like an amazing casting choice, actually. Oh, he is great. And he plays the kingpin as someone who has these profound, like, he's very efficient and very good at what he does. And he's someone who truly believes in what he's doing is right. But he's also like got this crazy sh- social anxiety, and in his body language, there are these great moments where he's being very powerful. But you can see him kind of like just being uncomfortable in his own skin, and it's this really great, just strange, complex character. He does a really good job with it, and he's utterly terrifying, as you can imagine. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, the, the all the casting's pretty good. The guy who plays Daredevil, whose name escapes me, he's great. Matt um, Murdock. One of the kids from the Mighty Ducks is Foggy Nelson. Rosario Dawson. There's good people in it. I haven't seen her I like it a lot. yet because, yeah, she's not in the first episode. Yeah, she appears in the second or third, I think. Um, I, I got, saw a lot of flack online about the Foggy Nelson casting, but from the first episode, he seemed pretty spot on. What were they complaining about? Lack of chemistry with the rest of the class or cast. Oh, I would disagree with that. I think he's great. I um, liked him in the first episode. That's a blanket a flash for we don't like this person yet. Yeah, there's a flashback to when they're doing when they're like in their law school days and they're just both kind of drunk, like palling about. And it was to me, it rang very true of just like it was just a really well played scene between the two of them where I thought they had very good chemistry indeed. Drunk pals. Um, yeah, but it's I think it's a really good show. What What's interesting to me about it is it's very much. I would think would be rated R, which Marvel couldn't do in a movie. But in this one, the violence level is pretty hard. There's like, you see bones breaking. People are like getting stabbed in the head and stuff. It's pretty violent. And it's very, very Catholic in terms of Daredevil himself is Catholic. But there's this whole like masochistic sin thing going on. that's really drawn from the comics that um, a lot of iterations of Daredevil have drawn from, and they're drawing a lot from the Frank Miller interpretation and a little bit of the Kevin Smith as well. But I don't really care about Daredevil. I grew up with Spider-Man and the X-Men. Those are my guys. And I always viewed Daredevil as being kind of a crappy Spider-Man. And this has made me go back and read some Daredevil comic books. It got like, I've really been enjoying the series. The action is fantastic. The plotting is really good. The atmosphere is good. I think it's a pretty great show. I highly recommend it. Yeah, I'm going to keep watching as soon as I finish Orphan Black. Yeah, so you've been watching Orphan Black? I've never seen that show. 
seen that show. That show was great. Yeah, my wife and I watched the first episode like a year ago and then didn't come back to it. And then um, like last month, she started watching it again. And then two days later, she had gotten through both seasons that were then on Amazon. And uh, from that, I interpreted that it was a good show. And I have now watched the first season and a half. They've just started the third season, I believe. So I've got a little bit of time to finish the... uh, the second season, but it's super good. I, yeah, it's, the cast is much more diverse. Um, despite the fact that half of it is Tatiana Maslany, like the rest <laughs> of the cast is yeah. much more interesting and diverse than your standard, like us primetime show. It's a yeah. BBC America original production and it's filmed. Is in, it BBC I believe, America Toronto. originally? I knew it was filmed with, uh, filmed in Canada. So I assume that they were, uh, the Canadian equivalent of the BBC is was involved. I, I think it is BBC America specifically. Huh. All right, there you go. But yeah, that yeah. really is one of the best things about that show. Just watching uh, Tatiana Maslany just play so many different characters and jump accents and mannerisms. So this is a show about clones, right? Yeah, it, they are. Yeah. All, they are all clones of this woman who. Uh, Spoilers. Yeah, well, in the well, the first episode I don't consider spoilers, but she finds out no. she's a clone when uh, one of her other clones she sees uh, she sees her kill herself in the subway, and she's like, "Hey, that lady looked just like me. What's going on?" And uh, so it turns out she's a clone, and there are stacks of them. Yeah, and uh, you know, so then the uh, the show kind of is all about figuring out the mystery of you know what weird science was going on behind the scenes and well being hunted by religious fanatics and like transhumanists and third groups. And yeah, it's, it's very interesting to see the, the interplay between groups of people who all think that they're doing the right thing. And some are obviously much less sympathetic than others. Um, and watching people who have good intentions just, screw stuff up for other people yeah it's handled well and you're right it's pretty it's a pretty uh i don't know diverse cast that's that's a nice thing to it or a nice thing about it i guess they just kind of all over the place i hadn't really thought about it that way but uh that's a good point nathan i mean all of those people would be like straight white people who were you know yeah you know below average bmi in in a u.s casting like yeah but like you know, Felix, her um, gay Case. foster brother. Yeah. Like Who even the dudes that Felix sleeps with always. Yeah. Yeah. Even the dudes uh, he sleeps with are like tremendously diverse in like race and body type, and like even like the one-off, the bit tiny bit characters are more diverse. You know, it's fractally diverse in a way that doesn't feel fake. It feels like they're living in a big city. And, you know, have people of different socioeconomic groups and, um, you know, all sorts of groups mixing together. So I like it. It feels, I don't know, maybe that, maybe that's Canadian. It's not, it's not main, it's not mainstream primetime American TV. Yeah. It feels a little bit off to the, uh, off to the left a little bit. Yeah. In the way that some of those things do. And I, I think I, that was one of the things I ended up liking about, uh, continuum too which i discovered around the same time is that the one where the police officer gets sent to the future no she's sent back from the future oh right but that's also uh it's also a canadian filmed up in canada and i believe you know produced by some similar body of uh organizations that you know also kind of feels just a little bit different than most of the stuff you see in the u.s Yes, in the U.S. That's what I meant. Yeah. That was the end of that sentence. <laughs> I found it for you, Pete. Spe- speaking of stuff in the U.S., all right, was that kind of it about or- Orphan Black? Yeah, I can't wait to watch the rest of it, and the third season is uh, apparently w- coming out now. All right, I got to catch up. Yeah. Anyway, I've been killing a bunch of time the past couple of weeks catching up on uh, or rewatching one of my uh, my favorite anime shows, which is Pat Labor. Are you watching the original or the OVAs or whatever? Well, I I was watching the original TV series. What is Pat Labor? Pat, Pat Labor is originally a comic and then an anime and then a whole bunch of other stuff in the uh, 
the nature of these things in Japan. They, uh, they, they like to spread things around. But anyway, yeah, you go from the manga to the anime to the light novels to the video games to the live action. And indeed, versions. all of these things have been made for pat labor, which is a portmanteau yes, of patrol labor, and it's basically the giant robot police. So if you've seen shows about giant robots flying through the air and having big flashy battles trying to save the world in space, this isn't that show. These this is a show about police who use their giant robots to break up fights between construction workers who are using other giant robots to build buildings and the police even have like the the police robots even have like revolvers yeah they have revolvers which they're almost never allowed to use because giant bullets are expensive yes (laughs) they have budgets (laughs) yeah they have budgets and they get in trouble with the uh, the newspapers all the time because they always wreck things with their giant robots I, Isn't there the one guy who likes to get in fights all the time? What's his deal? Yeah, there is There is one character, basically, who's responsible for all of their problems. Ota, who the, uh, just shoots first, asks questions later, and uh, destroys things. So The, the uh, main character is a, is a woman patrol officer, correct? Uh, she's kind of the main character. She's kind of the focus character of the show, but not as much. I mean, mm. she gets more time, but really it's almost kind of an ensemble thing. I guess would be like a more modern term for it, even though this was originally back in, you know, 1988 through 1994. Yeah. But, um, anyway, so the TV show is pretty good. The, uh, the, the group that made the, uh, this franchise of stuff is called Headgear, which also involves the, uh, the manga artist Masami Yuki for this, uh, but it also involves Mamoru Oshii, who uh, is one of the best, one of the greats. You might know as the ghost in the shell guy, if yeah. you're uh, if you're into this kind of thing. And one of the great things about the uh, the show is they all they're part of this group of like five artists, and they all traded off directing episodes of the show. So he's got a bunch of them in there that are really good. Um, same thing for the writer in the group, whose name is Kazunori Ito, and. Uh, the other thing I really like about the world is the mecha design. The The main robot, the AV-98 Ingram, is basically my favorite giant robot. Is it really? Well, Interesting. It's, it's close. It's close. I, it's got this kind of gimmick to it that I really love, where the cockpit pops up out of the chest. So the pilot's looking out of the giant robot's neck, almost. So yeah. it kind of looks like a little person's head with a giant robot suit. Yeah, it's like a tiny person stuck inside of a, another person. But like I was saying, it's very kind of like hydraulic and close to real construction equipment so it feels very real i think yeah it's a pretty grounded show yeah as i recall anyway Um, so i was so i was watching the the tv series there are there's an extended like ova kind of series which uh there are two of them actually one which is a parallel timeline one which just continues the show apparently and wraps up a hmm. couple of the plot lines that they didn't quite get around to before they got canceled but i think my most preferred um, piece of work that if you really want to, want to get a feel for for it and also watch a really good movie, the first movie is one of my favorites. So there are three, but uh, the first one is just called Pat Labor the Movie. It's got a lot of great uh, kind of uh, crime-solving stuff going on and conspiracy-stopping, and then... Please tell me there's a giant robot with a huge magnifying glass, like peering down to look at a car tragically there is not although <laughs> that that's is, about the level of the humor of the tv show it's really disappointing yeah it's, it's it's very light it's not it's not so much like a law and order kind of show it's more of it's not brooklyn 99 but it does have a sense of humor which is yeah well it's it's cool. that like you know it's that anime sense of humor because it's you know it's a little bit closer to something from the era of dragon ball than you know yeah some of the grittier louder stuff that showed up later but it makes it fun. It's fun stuff. It is. No, it's very. It's a. It's a good watch. But like I said, the movies are also great if you want something like that in smaller doses. Um, yeah, that's it. Pat Labor. I've been digging it. Cool. Good stuff. Yeah. Well, there you go. Um. Yeah. So what? What else have people been watching? I haven't been watching something that you guys have. Throne game, Game of Thrones game, Game of Thrones game, Game of Thrones. Oh, oh, Game of Thrones. Oh, Game ah, of yes. Thrones. Game of Thrones is back, season it five. Hip, hip, hooray. 
Hip hip hooray, and it looks or, like it will be less boring than book five. Or, Fingers crossed. <laughs> that's right. They've already gone through a bunch of the plot of book four and five, so where are they going with that? I don't know, but it, it, I think it's been firmly established that they're leaving book continuity behind. Um, well, Because they yeah, have to. I mean, at this point, yeah, and I think that's kind of the question a lot of the fans of the book's minds at this point is we're pretty clearly sailing out into uncharted territory at a pace that George R. R. Martin is definitely not up to. It may help him um, write faster, possibly. Well, I don't know. I feel like there was doing, a lot of, of filler in books three and four. There were. But how much can they cut out? And They're cranking out this a season a year, and they've only got three left, right? After this one? Or um, was it two left? I don't know. I mean, he, he originally it was going to be seven books, but it's clear that we've already I think he already spaced out he did I guess seasons three and four did books three and four right so I mean it's not exactly one season per book anymore Um, yeah well it can't be because the way that that four and five split yeah the cast you'd have like half the cast not working simultaneous yeah yeah um like we've already had stuff in just the last couple of episodes or in the first couple of episodes of the season that were in books four and five yeah, if if the pacing on season five um, matches the pacing of the book, the entire every time we look at Tyrion, he's going to be getting drunk on the road somewhere, and I hope to uh, skip that. Well, here's my question then. Yes. So, from what you've seen of the first two episodes, or however many, I haven't. Again, I'm I've watched season one. I've read all the books, so I know what you're talking about with Tyrion on the road. Do you like? where they've been going with the seeming new plot elements. Uh, Do you trust them to take you to these new places? I think it's a little bit early to tell yet. Yeah. I mean, we haven't gone so far as to, you know, see what kind of fruit it's going to bear yet. They haven't diverged that wildly. Yeah. I mean, if we do the, this, if it follows the standard, uh, I said Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, um, seasonal arc there's going to be like three to four episodes of stuff's about to happen then three episodes of stuff is really happening and then something terrible happens then there's a huge battle and then there's a little bit of the consequences and something also terrible happens and then the season's over yeah do you like that rhythm Uh, it's getting a little predictable um Hmm. i don't know yeah the past the the first two episodes of um, this season have felt very Previously on Game of Thrones. Yeah. And next time on Game of Thrones, like, it's it's nothing really has happened yet. Well, they've got some stuff to maneuver people around. Yeah. I, don't I, mean, know. I, feel, like, I feel like they're going to get there. And thanks to the magic of horrible internet piracy, I may have seen slightly farther ahead in the, in the season than Nathan has. You monster. I am a monster. But, uh... Yeah, I so there's there's some stuff and they kind of split off and I'm not going to say anything spoilery about it, but yeah, it's so far the stuff I've seen it's stuff that doesn't really matter all that much, but it's hard to tell what stuff was going to matter and not matter, and that was kind of always the interesting thing about Game of Thrones was this random character could end up being you know a decisive element in this scene you know in the next book. Did they kill Hermione yet? They did kill Hermione. They impaled her with a Dumbledore. Nice. It was it was very sad. Heroic mm. sacrifice, I'm certain. Yeah. Slytherin. And then they then they self detonated. <laughs> yes, indeed. Anything else you guys want to say about Game of Thrones? Uh, needs more dragons. Needs more dragons. The dragon quotient has really been upped. Pound for pound, there's more dragons in this season than there have been before. Well, they're older. Yeah. Well, pound for pound would imply that it doesn't matter how big or old they are. Does it? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Pound for pound. It's like is pound about... for pound. Oh, pound yeah, for it's, pound it's comes pound, from boxing. They're a little more dragony. How you can compare a welterweight to a heavyweight. Oh, speaking of oh, boxing. I, I assumed it was some kind of like price per weight thing. No, it's just like if if all pounds were equal, like... Yeah, it's... yeah. Actually, though, um, I'm done talking about Game of Thrones. Something is happening uh, real soon that I know George is going to be interested in. 
sort of. Sort of. Um, I've had a lot of conversations with people about it. It's So you're referencing the Pacquiao-Mayweather fight. Correct. Will be done by the time this episode releases. Nope. So, That's on May 2nd. This episode goes up on uh, May 1st. I thought we were a week ahead. I have no sense of time anymore. It is just god-awful. Um, yeah, so you still have that to look forward to. Possibly March 31st <laughs> or April. 31st april doesn't have 30 fun days it goes up uh before yeah. the fight barely i wish that's right i wish april had 30 fun days yeah so it's it's mayweather pacquiao which would have been a fight i would have been extremely excited for about five years ago yeah yep when pacquiao was at the height of his powers and mayweather was five years younger <laughs> no mayweather's because the problem is george you got george didn't dislike mayweather yet no, no, I always say to Mayweather. Um, he's a terribly boring boxer to watch because it's perfect boxing is sort of like perfect baseball. It's very appealing to heads and people who are really into the purity of the game, but it can be extremely boring. Like someone throws a bunch of strikeouts, you've got a perfect game. You know, you want to see the home runs, you want to see the knockouts, you want to see there, people slugging. There was That's a why one, people like Pacquiao. Durham about that. Strike, yeah. Strikeouts are fascist, kid. Yeah, well, they are. And that's why I hate baseball. I don't watch that sport. It's terrible. Um, because of fascism? No, it's just too long and I'm lazy. <laughs> but uh, fair. It's because I'm one of those short attention span millennials, so I can't watch baseball. Are we, um, are we millennials? Is that what we yeah, are? Sort yeah, of. I'm afraid so. I think so. Even though we're all in our 30s, we're like the old millennials. Not Gen, yep. not gen something? No. Uh, no we're, we're too young to be Gen X and we're not Gen whatever else. Yeah. Why? But, yeah. Good question. But no, so the book on, on Mayweather is that he is one of the most technically perfect boxers ever to box, which means it's very hard to hit him. Um, his defense is just so good. And he is good enough to just basically win by just keeping someone at a distance and just jabbing them to death. And he doesn't have enough power to do that, like a knockout or do anything with it. But he'll win on points. And... Pacquiao at his height was tremendous. He would just punch from all angles. He had speed. He was swarming. He seemed like he might be the guy who was ferocious enough that he could actually crack through that shell. But that was about five years ago. He's been knocked out a couple times. Very brutal knockouts. He's not as fast as he used to be. He's become a congressman in the Philippines, which has taken away from his training and had a bunch of personal stuff going on. Meanwhile, Mayweather, besides being a boring boxer, is also a serial woman beater um an extremely unpleasant person in real life he also likes playing a troll to the point where he has justin bieber accompany him on his ring walks which is actually kind of amazing but he so he's unpleasant he wants to be unpleasant and unlike some trolls who like they're really bad at being evil but there's actually like a good soul to them he is just straight up a deplorable awful person who's just awful and so you shouldn't root for him, one, because he's – for any number of reasons. But anyways, he's been ducking this fight for years. Basically, he's a jerk it. and he beats women. And he's yeah. a boring boxer. And he's accepted that – you know, I think he's finally accepted the fight because he realized that Pacquiao is now vulnerable. I think that what happens – this is my prediction – is it goes the distance. Mayweather wins on points, and basically he just keeps the fight long – jabs and jabs away at Pacquiao. Anytime Pacquiao gets in close, Mayweather grabs, clinches, they get separated. He keeps Pacquiao at a distance, rinse and repeat. And that's going to be the entire fight. I think it'll be very boring to watch. Um, I've thought about getting a lot of fights because I thought, oh man, this might be the guy who could beat Mayweather. I never have. He has beaten all of them. I think that's going to happen here. I'm not going to spend money on it also because it's the most expensive pay-per-view boxing match ever. I think they're charging $100 for it. And I don't feel like giving any money for to Mayweather at all. So, yeah, I'm actually kind of bummed about it. I've been kind of falling off on, on boxing lately, last past couple of years. Although there is a fighter that everyone should watch. His name is Gennady Golovkin. He is amazing. His knockout percentage is something like 90%. He's, uh, Jesus. He, in his words, I love fight. He is amazing. I love fights. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't speak English too good. Um, I think he's from... He's one of those Soviet. Uh, so he is a trained boxer from a Rocky movie. No, 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 no. He's very lovable. He's not like the Klitschko's. He fights at middleweight, and he's like, uh, 
he's a much more lovable guy. Um, he also has Mexican style, is what he says, because he fights more aggressively. He's but his knockout potential is fantastic. He's he's probably he's the most entertaining boxer, and he's fighting, I think, the week after Pacquiao Mayweather. He's fighting at some point in May. That's the fight people should go and see because he's fun to watch. He puts it out there, and he seems to be, as far as I know, a decent person. Although I can't personally vouch for that but he can't be worse than mayweather unless he's killed somebody and that's my belief <laughs> fair enough yeah all right so let's talk go. about some some fake fighting which is something i enjoy a lot more than real fighting these days um all right i've realized that i grew up my family liked watching figure skating and gymnastics whenever the olympics would come on and i was never really that into it but i'd watch a lot of it but i do like physicality and interesting contortions and acrobatics and that has made me learn to love first wrestling especially lucha style wrestling as you two have heard me go on and on about but that's not what i want to talk about today i want to talk about kung fu movies hooray because i know you guys don't like to hear me talk about wrestling because it gets really boring probably it's fun for me (laughs) i i understood it a lot more um once you made me watch like eight Chikara Wrestle Factory um, matches in a row, between yeah. that and um, I think I think the problem was I associated wrestling with WWE Vince McMahon very corporate, you know the post consolidation um, yeah phase and this- and they've gotten a lot more talented now they fight they have a more diverse style but like especially at the height like when it was really popular during the Attitude Era the wrestling was actually very bad. And so it was very uninteresting in terms of just the in-ring physicality of stuff. It was just a bunch of roided-out dudes slapping each other and making bad sexist jokes. Um, it's gotten better in certain respects, but there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. I will say, if you want to see some really crazy stuff, look up Lucha Underground, because it is a production by Robert Rodriguez, who did the Mariachi films. And it is they've got a lot of the The top- Machete films? Mariachi, Mariachi Machete, yeah, that guy. Everything, okay. everything that Robert Rodriguez has done. <laughs> yes, he has. He's now producing this wrestling show for his like own TV network that he has called the El Rey Network. And Lucha Underground has some like really serious luchadors from Mexico, and some some ones from the Indies in America. And they just do this crazy acrobatic style, and the storytelling is so over the top. It's like all these like weird Aztec myths and there's this guy who's like a hunter and like hunting the actual people and people giving each other the kiss of death and the wrestling itself. It's hard for me to watch because I don't have the all right network, but there's just, it's so over the top. It is gorgeous. It's beautiful. They, they wrestle in this filthy warehouse and it's just people flying around doing crazy flips and it's, it's fantastic. Really cool. Anyways, when I promised not to talk about wrestling, I talked about wrestling. (laughs) That's my fault. I don't know, however long that was. What I want to talk to you about is The Five Deadly Venoms, which is a quintessential um, kung fu movie from Hong Kong produced by the Shaw Brothers, who are these legendary uh, production studio. And The Five Deadly Venoms kind of really was a big film for them, and it created something called The Venom Mob, which I really want to get into. And it all started with this film. And so The Five Deadly Venoms, the setup is that there is this clan called the Poison Clan, and... The master is dying, and he's telling his last apprentice that there are, you know, his former students have gone out into the world. Their house has committed great evil. You can't say you're from the Poison Clan because everyone will try and kill you. That he trained these five venoms in five different styles. And so there's the centipede style, the snake style, the scorpion style, the lizard style, and the toad style. And they quote a lot of this stuff in various Wu-Tang Clan uh, songs. So especially the snake style, I think it's in... One of ODB songs, like Brooklyn Zoo or something, they just pull the dialogue right from it. It's beautiful. But anyways, all these styles, it's like the snake, one guy's hand is like the fangs, and then the other hand is the tail, and like they fly around, and the snake can like fight from its back. And the scorpion has like really strong hands and then kicks you with the scorpion tail as like the guy's leg. And centipede is the thousand hands. The lizard can like walk on walls, which I guess is advantageous. I don't know. So this guy doesn't really have a lot goes, to do with poison, but you know. Well, yeah, I don't know. It's a poisonous lizard? They exist, I guess. I don't know. Look, they do stuff. Yeah. And then the toad. The toad was my favorite in the movie because it's just a guy who, like, can get hit a lot and nothing can hurt him. So he just, like... Like Toad from X-Men. Yeah. 
Yeah, and there's this great training montage. Like, if you blog. go on YouTube, yeah. you link it in the page, but right. the, the American trailer is just the guy describing all their styles as they just run around kicking pots and stuff, and they wear these fantastic masks, and it's just ludicrous nonsense. And so the plot itself is fairly rudimentary. They're all searching for this treasure. They're all in this town, hidden in these various roles. They don't know who each other is, and there's some vague shifting alliances. But the, the fighting is top-notch, and the acting... Like, some of these guys have real charisma, and are really cool. And it's neat that they all have their own different fighting style because it makes the fights interesting. It's not just guys, you know, doing blocks and stuff like that. It's this really acrobatic, interesting movement. And then there are these little moments where their hands are doing these weird, subtle things and um, doing crazy stuff. And there's this, like, the whole thing is also about how, like, the government is corrupt. And it, but it ends on this great note where spoilers, they sort of are like, oh, well, the governor was in league with these guys the whole time. And they're like, well, can we do anything about it? Nah, he'd just be replaced by someone else corrupt. And then they just kind of like laugh and it ends on a freeze frame. <laughs> <Huh>. <laughs> Which I thought is a really beautiful sentiment. Settling! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh. um, but it's like the costume, the colors are so vibrant and the costuming is great. And it's clearly all sh- shot on these lots. But it's just like this like old, weird timey stuff that you just don't see a lot of stuff like that anymore um they've got these great like top-knot hairdos and that's cool some, hats with peacock feathers that's something interesting you pointed out and i was i it didn't think about it until right then but when you talk about the different fighting styles that's something you don't see as much these days i feel like yeah. whenever i go see a movie like it's very clear that everyone in that movie has been taught to fight that way by the exact same person yeah yeah because it's probably the same fight directors and that's the thing about the venom mob so the 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 Actors who played the main roles in this, they became known as the Venom Mob from this movie. And they were all fight choreographers and fight trainers. So they all knew how to block these things and could teach other people to do it, but they were doing it themselves. So I think that's part of one of the reasons why the fights are so interesting is because it's like they're just taking direct control themselves rather than teaching some actor how to do it. Like they've been doing this all their lives. And they're all accomplished martial artists in their own way. And they all had, I think, different training. And what they would become known for, though, is they would create other Shaw Brothers productions where these guys would be in different movies that weren't sequels or even linked. They weren't the same time period, but they would all play the same archetypes. So the guy who played the hero in this movie would play the hero in that movie. The guy who played the comic relief in the one movie would play the comic relief in the other one. The guy who dies first (laughs) will die first in the other films. And then the guy who's the evil guy will always be the evil guy and the guy whose like loyalty is unknown always plays the guy with shifting loyalties which I think is just a genius weird thing. It's like Cloud thing. Atlas. It, it's like Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. Yeah, it's like the horror <laughs> films, yeah. Yeah, where they play the archetypes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's but awesome. it's the same, you know, you, you go into the movie, you see that actor and he's not playing a role necessarily, he's just playing this is the role he plays in the film, like in every film. You immediately know who, what kind of character he's supposed to be, which is interesting. We don't really do that so much anymore, except that, like, in, in a gross scale. Like, you see a Steve Buscemi character, you're going to see a Steve Buscemi character. Yeah. And you've got people like Will Smith or Tom Cruise. That yeah. They play themselves. Will Smith or Tom Cruise. Basically, yeah. They play a or, star. Or at least movie version of themselves. Yeah. Although, but with greater or lesser degrees of self-awareness, I would argue that Tom Cruise's character in Edge of Tomorrow was much more vulnerable and self-aware than he would have allowed himself to play 10 years ago. Oh yeah, I, and I think, I, and this is uh, me yeah, not saying that. I don't dislike Tom Cruise or Will Smith. I think they're both good. I think they could go a little bit farther sometimes, um, but Tom Cruise does it in a way that can be very appealing and can sometimes play off of that. Like, I mean, look at Magnolia, where he plays yeah. off of his oh yeah stardom in a very weird way. His pickup artist character. Yeah, so he can go there. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I thought it was a tremendous kung fu film. It's a really seminal piece that. If you want to get into kung fu movies, I think it's a good start because it's entertaining, yeah. and it's just cool to look at. And also, like Nathan, when I was watching it, the way they've got these like outfits where they had these police who would wear these like weird peacock hats and these things, but then there's this one guy who comes in and he's got like this like leather vest. There's no shirt on underneath. He's all muscly, and I'm just like, this is just like the perfect weird D and D setup of these guys just like hanging out and beating the crap out of each other and looking for treasure. And it just made me want to play like exalted or pathfinder or something oh man <laughs> like it really made me geek that's out an, that's an interesting take on it I, I, I never thought about it like that but yeah yeah um anyways obviously i dug it and it's really fun 
The next thing I'm going to watch is actually the 36 Chambers movie, nice. which obviously had a big role on Wu-Tang Clan as well. A slight, uh, slight influence. <laughs> slight it's influence. fair to say. But they're, just, they're so fun and... Yeah, it's just good stuff. So anyways, I really like The Five Deadly Venoms. I also watched a movie called Trash Humpers, which is exactly what it sounds like it's about. And I don't think that anyone will enjoy it, <laughs> except for me and some of my coworkers <laughs> who have been watching it and enjoying it. How, how, could how much, you, could how you much be honest? trash is humped, George? Um, a lot. Sometimes it's in cans, so you can't really put like a metric on it. Sometimes it's also trees. My question for you is, did you and your coworkers film this movie yourselves on break? No, no, no. This is a Harmony Korean production. Okay. You might know I've from Spring Breakers, Kids, or Gummo. It's like Gummo, except with even less plot, which seems impossible, but somehow he achieved it. And it's basically him with a VHS camcorder, so it looks hideous, shooting... Um, his wife and some other people wearing old man latex masks running around being sociopaths like just smashing fluorescent bulbs and then tap dancing on them for no particular reason no particular meaning um it's i was actually doing uh, chores around the house cleaning up and doing garbage when i put it on and then i was just planning to kind of just work around it but then i ended up just like sitting down about 10 minutes in and being entranced it's horrifying is, and most people will not enjoy it. Is Harmony Korine one of those dudes that is just everything he makes is stupid as hell and everyone thinks it's genius? No, I think most people actually think it's stupid. Um, most film people. Werner Herzog is a big fan of his. Werner Herzog loves him because in one of the shots in Gummo, there's a piece of bacon taped to the wall, which when Werner Herzog saw that, he got a very visceral emotional reaction to it. Um but a lot of people think that it is rightly extremely pretentious, full of crap, meaningless, and it's unclear how much of it is intended to be provocation and how much of it is intended to be metaphor. And it's just it's ugly stuff. But I think if you've got the right spirit, it'll be appealing to you. Most people don't, and it probably should not be watched by anyone. Good to know. I also think Herzog likes things that remind him that the world is insane and hideous, and we're all doomed to suffer until we die. Oh, he totally does. Which, and that's yeah. exactly what this film engenders <laughs> better than most things in life. It's like the dancing chicken. Yeah. Werner um, Herzog is strange and frightening, man. He is. Uh, I realized something important, guys. Um, oh. Something huge happened uh, in the past couple weeks that we have not talked about. Did the world end? Did I miss it? No. The uh, trailer for The Force Awakens came out. Oh, oh my yeah. god! Oh, no. I know that's true. Star Wars. I I I watched it like eight times, and I was very happy. Who was your favorite character from the trailer? Um, I can't decide between um, Chewbacca and Chewbacca. I'm going with Chrome Trooper. Chrome Trooper. Hmm. Yeah, there's that shot of like that weird stormtrooper that's just in chrome armor, and I want to know everything about that guy. I want to know everything about all of them. I'm This instantly snapped my Star Wars fandom, which was intense, alarmingly intense, up until right about an hour into The Phantom Menace. Um, that's being generous. Um, it snapped it immediately back to, like, 1998 levels. We're talking read all the extended universe books um, until the one where they killed Chewbacca, and then I stopped reading. Um, had the essential guide to vehicles and vessels, would play long, lonely games of two-player uh, Star Wars Trivial Pursuit with my best friend that would last for like 45 minutes a turn because neither of us ever got a question wrong. It all came right back to me as soon as I saw the tracking shot with the uh, speeder and the uh, crash Star Destroyer in the background. Apparently, the three apparently of us, I, I think we've this trailer all been there very, very soon because... You haven't seen I'm, it? I'm, I'm, I haven't. I haven't. Peter, how is that possible? Peter, I've had stuff going on. You have it. watched RoboCop, the literally RoboCop, robot cop film, and you don't remember the name of Pat Labor, do you? <laughs> no, <laughs> because it's so stupid. <laughs> stupid. Pat Labor is getting no love. For we me. were, we were just. <laughs> oh my god. We were just. The name is. But no, the name is uh, unmemorable po- in the face of my point. My point was childhood I, coming back. I, I'm excited to hear you say that, Nathan, because I'm not going to lie. I have not been feeling the love on the new movies because I don't know. So many bad things have happened to Star Wars. 
You, I have seen Peter dressed as Darth Vader, like full of regalia, on several occasions. I'd like to point that out for the record. I Excellent. had the helmet. It never fit in my head, but I wore it anyway. Peter's got a large head. It's very large. So Hats, hats are tough. Ralph? I got you the Imperial Commander hat, though. That fits, yes? That's true. Awesome. That's a little yeah. snug. Ralph McQuarrie, uh, the um, concept artist who gave much of the original trilogy its signature Star Wars look... Um, was not involved with the prequels, which is why they were garbage. Um, but you Amongst can, many, many, many reasons. reasons. We do well, not have time to get into. No, but an, among those reasons was that George Lucas had surrounded himself by Yes Men, um, decided that CGI was better than plot, and um, produced and directed the movies himself. Um, the prequels, and wrote. And wrote, right. Um, but the from... From the very beginning of the trailer, you can tell. Obviously, Ralph McQuarrie wasn't involved because he's dead. But um, that sounded harsh. Um, but you can tell that his influence—that's that, that, not harsh. He cannot participate in. No, it he if cannot. He's dead. Yeah. But you can tell that the trailer, the aesthetic of the new movie, is deeply, once again, influenced by him. Even the new X-wings look more like his concept drawings of X-wings um, than they do the uh, the X-wings from the original trilogy. Like, it's the whole aesthetic is very... It feels like Star Wars. It feels like Star Wars felt the first time you saw it. That yeah, is a exciting. very strong statement. I didn't have the emotional reaction that some people did, where a lot of people on Twitter were talking about how they were crying when they saw Chewbacca. No. Um, which, you know, that's fine. I just didn't have yeah, that. But I didn't it, either. It, but I, I was like, holy crap. It looks good. Yeah. And I'm very excited. The thing that I'm most excited for coming out this year, and I'm, Star Wars is different because it's holiday season, but for this summer, I'm most excited for uh, Mad Max Fury Road. looks so cool. The trailers, how can there be anything in that movie that's not already in the trailers? It looks Yeah, it's but it's so going to be longer. Well, yeah. It's like a Mad you Max need movie. two hours of fire and Tom Hardy and Charlize Theron and people wearing leather and horse teeth. And a guy shooting flames out of guitar on a car that's crashing into <laughs> so another car, amazing. and they're both exploding. Like that needs to be that should be that should be split into four different movies, a la Peter Jackson, because there's enough room in our hearts for that and more, and so much more. It they're, looks so good. They're also coming out with a tie-in video game that looks a lot like Shadows of Mordor with a car and humans instead of orcs. So you mean better? Hmm. Hopefully better. I mean, I really like Shadows of Mordor, but I hope that there's a distinguishing... Um... I mean, to be fair, people, yeah, this one people has may a crack about thing. Shadows of Mordor being Batman Arkham Asylum, dressed, except with, you know, Batman dressed up as a ranger and the criminals This one has a car. Yeah, Guys, a car. It's, it's, it's the last of the V8 interceptors. I don't think you realize that this isn't just a car. Look, George, It's the last of the V8 interceptors. Mad, Mad Max has the best and most important car. He does. In he also has a dog named Dog. Post-apocalyptic Australia. Yes. I have but actually he... never seen any of the Mad Max movies. Um, you, don't know Warrior... about, you don't know about the Humongous? Yeah, Lord Humongous? No. Nathan I... does, not know about, does not know about the Humongous. Seen Tank Master Girl. Blaster? No. You know Master Blaster? No. Who rules Trash Jesus. Town? Uh, Barter Town. Barter Town? Barter Town's from Barter Fallout. Town. Is it? Where do you think they got it from? Oh, that's a great question. Now I have to go back and rewatch Thunderdome. <laughs> that that's actually a mistake. I'm just going to go back and really rewatch like... Road Warrior instead. I just like that one. It's so good. It's I actually awesome. hadn't seen any of the Terminator movies until like three months ago. Those are legit good. Here's the thing that I want to tell you because we're getting off on a big tangent here. But there's one Certainly. thing I always like to talk about when I talk about Road Warrior, which is first George Miller, who's the director and writer of these films, actually started out as a ER doctor in the outback and got the idea to make the films after seeing a lot of car accident victims, which is amazing. After he did the Mad Max films, do you know what movies he did? The other series he's most tied to? I hope you're not going to say Crash. No, it would be Babe and Babe 2 Pig in the City. Babe 2 Pig in the City was deeply weird. That was George Miller. weird. It was like four times weirder than the original Babe. Yeah. It's like a nightmare. I, I, every time I watched it as a child. To hear. That's George Miller, baby. <laughs> wow. That's now so he's going back movie. to his roots. And the bad guy, the, the bad guy, the dude with all the horse teeth on his like respirator in a 
in the Mad Max trailer, who's going to be the big bad. He's played by the same actor who played Toe Cutter, who was the big bad in the first Mad Max film, which is kind of cool. Oh. He likes to reuse actors in the same roles, a lot of the Gyro Captain, even though they're not the same people. He does a Venom Mob thing. It all comes back again. Oh, nice. We've brought Gyro- it back. Gyro Captain. Yeah. Gyro Captain? He got in trouble for that White House thing, but I think he'll be okay. He'll probably just deport him. He's an American citizen. No, he's Australian. Oh, is he? I'm very confused. I'm making a really bad, rough, tenuous joke about how the gyro captain from the Mad Max movies, who is Australian... Is the guy who landed the gyrocopter on the Capitol lawn? Yeah, to protest the Postal Service or whatever he was doing. I think it was the... I like to imagine there's only one person who can fly a gyrocopter in the entire world, and it's that guy. I always heard that gyrocopters are pretty easy to fly. Probably are. This guy, Matt Novak, on Twitter, uh, who's Paleo... He runs the Paleo Future blog... He was, mm. um, he, which you may be aware of because it's excellent. Um, yes. He, he tweeted um, after this happened. He's like, hmm, apparently the, ter- the word most likely to follow the term gyrocopter in search results is crash. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like ultralights. Yeah. They're probably ones you can at least walk away from unless you're John Denver. Oh, that got dark. You know, because of that thing. George... No, I was going to try to tie in sunshine on my shoulder, and it just didn't happen. <laughs> I think that we've gone too far field, guys. We've gone too. We should. We should end this. Is there... We should wrap this up. And uh, okay, good. <laughs> I'd like to wrap it up by saying first, thank you all for listening, listeners. Give us a five on iTunes, or give us whatever rating you feel we should get on iTunes. Follow us at our websites and Twitters, which I'm at the Chimples. Nathan's at Nedwards. Peter is at thepope.org. And um, our next book, next time you hear from us, we'll be talking about The Peripheral by sci-fi great William Gibson, writer of such books as Neuromancer and, um, you know, the thing that Johnny Mnemonic's based on. So that's cool. It's Mona Lisa Overdrive. Yeah, also Mona Lisa Overdrive, Burning Chrome. Idoru. Idoru. That's a good one. The one with uh, Pattern oh, Future, future Tense? Spook Country. Yeah, Spook Country, yeah. Was Future Tense one of them? Or is that his essay thing? Uh, his essay thing was Distrust That Particular Flavor. Which is a fantastic title. It is. Yes. Okay. I just wanted to say Johnny Mnemonic, but it spun off into this whole thing. So. Say, say Molly Millions. Molly Millions. Molly She's Williams. a razor girl. She, she has mirror shades implanted in her. Yes. Okay. <laughs> the mirror Sorry. shades. <laughs> Sorry. I got to go back to the Johnny Mnemonic film where Dolph Lundgren plays a mercenary priest who loads up with guns, cocks one of them, and says, it's Jesus time. He does say it's Jesus time. Yeah. Do you know who else is in that movie? A junkie dolphin. Beat Takeshi. Yep. And apparently in the Japanese version, his role is greatly expanded upon. We can only Because why hope. wouldn't it be? <laughs> Uh, one of my favorites one of the all-time greats yes. Takeshi, so good anyway if you've ever seen most extreme elimination challenge that's his yes. tv show <laughs> oh he's such a enigma it's called takeshi's castle in it japan is. right it is yeah because it's beat takeshi right. takeshi katano that's it's his castle <laughs> Who's famous for horribly violent gangster movies. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like if Martin Scorsese also had a secondary career as a... Uh, a host on Jeopardy? or As like, a comedian? No, like as a host on like Wipeout or something. No, like Double, Double Dare. Dare. Yeah. <laughs> Very hard to Martin envision. Martin Scorsese was the host of Double Dare. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Pretty Mark, much. What happened to Mark Summers? He was in that plane with John Denver. And on that bombshell... Are we doing that? You've done that twice in a row. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. It's right. a reference to something that you guys don't know. It's a reference to Top Gear, obviously. Which nope. has been canceled and everyone got fired. Top Gear is referencing something else. What is it, George? You have the references. Educate yourself. It was a show about buggies. That's what Top Gear is referencing. No, but it is a British It was a popular thing. TV show in the 1800s about buggies. It's a British thing. Anyways, on that bombshell, we draw to a close. Goodbye. This has been Lizard People, Dear Readers, a production of Yellow Sonar Industries. Sound engineering is performed by Matthew Quiet of Podcom Services. All music written and performed by Stephen Edwards. 
Updates and information can be found at lizardpeopledearreaders.com. Contact us on Twitter at drlizardpeople or by email at lizardpeopledearreaders at gmail.com. Very few humans were harmed during the making of this production.